ভালোই ক্লাস my other name which is on my passport and on my school documents etc nobody has called me by that name ever in my life so when i started using a name there was no reason for me to use anything else other than this because to be honest nobody has called me by any other name so photography became a mad obsession for you as an artist how important is it to become an obsession did it help you to be the person you are today becoming is a process photography came at a time when i had nothing in life and i have always been very obsessive uh, anything which i have liked and loved it has uh, turned into an obsession always the same thing happened with photography and it it happened as i said during a time when i was very lonely uh, hardly had friends and all i mean i didn't realize how quickly i was drawn towards photography i think after a couple of years i realized that you know this is something that i truly like it had already been 3 4 years and i was shooting every day i was shooting every day for you know 8 hours 9 hours 10 hours coming back home editing pictures looking at other people's work and i was quite fascinated by the medium and internet had also just come in so exposure to other people's work was much 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 more i had no idea about uh, who an artist is what is an artist contribution etc i was totally oblivious of that i had always imagined that artists are mostly losers they are boring people who have a jhola so i was very far away from art i came to photography and the medium was interesting i liked photographs much before that when i was growing up i was growing up among musicians and music videos were something that all of us were really looking at i mean today's generation when they have so much of content to look at when i was growing up music videos were only available on doordarshan and there was this program used to happen called chitrahar with all the bollywood songs and all of that so that was the only window for music videos but uh, here in salt lake while i was growing up there were a lot of a uh, lot of music videos that we used to watch you know uh, music videos from the 80s and 90s and that was quite trippy and that kind of shaped or uh, that had a certain impact happened after i started liking photography but as i said i had no desire of being an artist there's no denial that your work is very different from any other person working in the industry like in at least in india so growing up in india as you have said in your work was not colored pictures your work was not about single images your work was not about winning travel image contest so why did you feel the need to do something different i mean when when i started photography it was more about single images uh, eventually when i got exposed to other kinds of work then i realized that there is something a photographer can say as i said internet was there so i was exposed to a lot of different kinds of work and then i really got inspired by other people and what they had to say and back in 2003 2004 i remember 
there was there was not one or two or three photographers i i mean i was very young and you know i mean the madness was such that i i used to keep looking at other people's work and there were hundreds and hundreds of photographers and in a very quick time i had seen a lot of work you know and that opened up a new world for me and i also started to realize that what my reality is what my position is in the world and what i can do with images because eventually i had also realized that photography is something i'm reasonably good at i can make something with it and those were the times when people used to ask me what do you do and i had no answer so i started telling people that i am a photographer and people started believing me so for example that's when that was the time when i was traveling all across the country on hundreds of compartments and then i started shooting in the trains so these are little works which started happening from then onwards and slowly i you know changed what i was doing and of course with time the kind of stuff that i was inspired by they kept on changing i kept on changing so on and so forth too many learnings too many unlearnings i was in no rush i didn't want to jump into commercial photography or fashion photography and the kind of stuff that most of my friends were doing busy trying to get editorial assignments and all of that i realized that these will not have much shelf life and there's no point trying to please european american photo editors and i mean i just thought that it's a waste of time true so um, your approach to the subjects are very upfront and personal like looking at the intimate pictures one can surely understand that working in such a manner does that make a difference to the subject or the stories from a so- storyteller's perspective did it bring a difference to your whole storytelling process primarily it was mostly about aesthetic it was about creating images in a particular way and to look for similarities within that language and obviously there was certain kind of closeness that had to be there in terms of what i was photographing and so on that was there in the in the beginning when i was starting out but as i grew you know with the medium as i as i started doing other works and there was a certain kind of stuff that the galleries in india were doing there was a certain kind of stuff that people who were doing editorial work were doing but i was not very sure of which direction i should work i made peace with some of the answers some of them are still unresolved but today i have a feeling that all this nonsense in photography which says that you have to be very close to what you do i say this as nonsense because there is too much rubbish that i see nowadays in the context of people trying to be close and trying to be personal and all of that i mean it doesn't make any sense to me i think as a photographer nobody is holier than thou and nobody has the authority or the agency to be very close to anyone anyways so i am happy keeping a distance and i would also want somebody else to keep a distance while the aesthetic the language in which a working class is photographed by the leading magazine in the world the same language the same aesthetic is not used to photograph the md of a company so all of this talk of being personal or or being very close to the subject applies to the have nots unfortunately and it took me a long time to understand that it's much bullshit you know and photographers need to step back So you say that photography for you was about life and death why is that I mean there was nothing else that I was doing there was nothing else that I could do there was nothing else that I could tell people that you know this is what who I am and when you are in school when you are in college when other people ask you that what do you want to do who do you like what's your plan what's like what kind of career you want to have and I I come from a middle class bengali family so i i i hate social gatherings especially social gatherings which involve family and army of cousins and uncles and all of that because whenever and i was terrified as a child of attending these 
you know, weddings and onnoprashans and whatever, whatever. And they constantly used to ask me and my mother that, what are you going to do? So I had no answer. So from nothingness, there was something to tell people. And people also started believing. And as I said, I had an identity. And there was nothing else that I knew. There was nothing else that I could do. And finally, it felt like whatever I want to say, photography is probably the only medium that build a bridge between me and the rest of the world. And that's how it became like a life and death. That's how it became an integral part of my life. You're more interested in the mystery than the truth. Is that the path to your success? There is, who say I have no success? What are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> we have just begun. I mean, uh, uh, what to say? I mean, mm, mystery. I mean, uh, and this is this is not something that I have said. This is. This is Picasso's famous line where he says that the job of the artist is to deepen the mystery. And I, I always believe that uh, when the camera was invented, the painters, a lot of painters who used to paint portraits of all the Maharajas and rich people and, you know, who used to paint portraits, they, they started feeling that, okay, now there is a machine and photographers will take our job then that there was a time when painters liberated themselves and they went outside realism and they started working outside realism photographers in my generation when i was working were obsessed with single images and as you said travel photography and stuff which is you know shooting on the street and there was a certain idea about being a photographer and there was a, a certain kind of affinity with a certain kind of photography. People uh, recognized good photography with certain kind of images. And we all know what kind of images they are. So I was, start, I, I was getting bored with that. And I, uh, I realized that like painters, photographers also have to go outside realism and do something else to sort of truly use the medium as an art form, you know, and that is precisely the reason that, you know, I, I say this at times that, you know, mystery is more interesting than truth because what you hide, what you don't say is, is, is something it can become very powerful for somebody else, you know, something which lives in the imagination of people, the viewer, what you hide can become very powerful. I mean, the same reason we read poetry and the reason we love poetry more than a journalistic piece, you know, to talk about reality objectively is the, job of a journalist. It's, it's not the job of an artist. Mm-hmm. Okay. Apart from being a photographer and apart from being a filmmaker, you are extremely political. So what was the moment where you had a political awakening? I have been going to political rallies when I could barely walk. My father was the editor of Communist Party's mouthpiece. My mother has been a whole timer for a Communist Party in India. My grandfather was Netaji's radio officer. All my family, you know, people have been in politics and I've seen it very closely. Growing up in my family, you could, you could never avoid or escape politics. It was, it was part of our life. Of, you know, it was part of our growing up. So I remember when I was four years old, I used to say on the mic in front of a rally of thousand people that, you know, Bhot Devan, Kon Khane, etc., not vote Devan Konkane, Kastehaturi Tara Chinne, Omuk candidate ke vote din. When I was in high school, Nondigram and Shingur happened. Obviously, the degeneration of Bengal and the violence of the parliamentary left in Bengal reached me. Even if my family was very much part of the parliamentary left, 
I was completely against the parliamentary left in Bengal and I had ideological conflict. Many of us were not happy. Uh, and then Operation Green Hunt was going on after that when the Congress government was killing its own people when Manmohan Singh said that the biggest internal security threat in the country is left-wing extremism. Those were the times when we also started questioning many things. And uh, then I was into, I mean, in college, student politics was a large part of our growing up. So it was inescapable politics and political discussions. In Calcutta, it is, it is not possible to be untouched. Absolutely. So you say that Polish residency was somehow a game changer in, in one of your talks. And you talk about how you bridged the Polish communist regime with the Bengal so-called communist regime in 2011. So what are the similarities have you seen? Solidarity movement in Poland happened. And the solidarity movement was a legitimate people's movement against the communist regime in Poland. It has its problems. It has its own kind of contradictions and whatever. But the movement was a people's movement. A lot of people in India back then, mostly leftists, had not really championed solidarity movement because it was all about overthrowing the communist regime in Poland. But it was the authoritarian regime. And people like Lakhvalesa from the Lenin shipyard in Gdansk, when it, when it began, it gathered support from all across the world. Obviously, they were supported by a lot of people. I'll give you an example. And this is something I was told by Moinak Vishash, Jadavpur yeah. University professor of film studies. Moinak Vishash had told me that when Andrew Vaidar's films were being shown, Man of Iron, Man of Marble, in American Center in Calcutta, a lot of people said that, you know, this is all, I mean, with CIA's money and uh, rightist propaganda, etc. These were people from the parliamentary left, like the CPIM, even the Naxals said that, you know, this is all CIA's money, etc. All these people have changed their opinion today. Today, if you talk to anybody about solidarity movement, you will find a stark contradiction between people from the 80s and the 90s and people today. So there, there is a difference. And in, in Bengal, a similar thing happened. The left came to power, but all of us had seen the kind of authoritarianism and the violence of the left in Bengal in all parts of the society, the deep-rooted bureaucracy and the deep-rooted corruption in every institution, in colleges, in, I mean, everywhere. It was impossible to really, I mean, there was no voice of dissent or today it's incredible to say things like that because, you know, people will not understand, especially the, especially people from Delhi or Bombay who have not suffered during the communist regime in Bengal will never realize this. But the kind of violence which happened in Bengal is, is no less. The Congress, the BJP, anyone, the, the left in Bengal were no less than anyone else. And in some cases, even more. It was something similar also happened here when, you know, through people's led movement, the left front had to go. I mean, we all grew up under left rule and people we were talking to and people we would meet in coffee shops and people, I mean, artists we looked up to, even if people did not believe in CPIM, everybody was very left-minded. Not necessarily people who, had an, who were ideologically left-inclined were supporters of the left front in Bengal. And this is something that people don't understand outside Bengal because they never had the opportunity to live under a left rule. So there were a lot of similarities like that. And I also, we grew up with this romantic idea of, of left, the romantic idea of USSR, the Soviet Union, and all these communist bloc countries, all these short stories that everybody had read when they were kids. You know, There was a certain kind of romanticism and memory of 
what an ideal society can look like. And this kind of romanticism comes from, you know, literature, from painting, from films like Kishlovsky's and so many others. So it was all about looking at similarities of growing up in a communist regime and how the color red has changed and what it looks like now when capitalism has taken over. So coming back to modern India now, so you're born in Assam and you moved to Calcutta when you were a child, probably in, in, in the early 90s. So with NRC and CA happening in front of your eyes, how would life be different if you remained in Assam? We still have most of our family members in Assam and Silchar. The house where I was born in Silchar is still there. So once in a while we go there because my monk, uncle lives there. My grandfather used to live there. My grandmother used to live there. My, my parents were married in that house. I was born in that house. So there are a lot of memories and, you know, even from the family from my mother's side, they are also from Silchar. So the whole family is still there. The extended family is still there. And I know what people are going through in Assam. My mother was jailed during the language movement when Bhasha Andolan was happening, when Assamese became the official language in Assam and people in Barak were protesting against that and they wanted to study in Bangla. So she and her friends, uh, they went to the court and while the court's proceedings were going on, they went to the judge's table where there were papers and they went there and they wrote Bangla Bhasha Zindabad, Matri Bhasha Zindabad while the court proceedings were going on and they got jailed. And so I've gr- I grew up listening to these stories and my father, he wanted to study engineering in Guwahati Engineering College. So he went to study and the same day he was kicked out of the college because he was a Bengali. When we were growing up, we didn't grow up with any kind of hatred towards the Assamese. But I knew that this is a place where there is a conflict. Uh, This is a place where our identities are also kind of, uh, it's it's not black and white. There are many things that are not spoken about. Some of our relatives have been, you know, killed by the insurgents. Many of them, some of them have been kind of kidnapped, this, that. I mean, it's part of every family in Borak Valley. When India became independent and when Assam became a state, state. If Barak, if it became a different state, then it would have been something else. But now it, it has gone too far. I mean, an uh, entire generation of Assamese chauvinists and xenophobic people who built an entire career on the hate against Bengalis, exactly like BJP does against Muslims. That's their fuel to stay in politics. If there was no Babri Masjid, there wouldn't have been any BJP. If there was no hatred for Pakistan or Muslims, there would be no BJP. They have nothing else other than talk about their hatred for the Muslims. It's the same for a lot of politicians and political parties in Assam. To be in power, they have to talk about things where, you know, they will say that Bengalis are taking your jobs, they're taking your land. And this is endless. Uh, No mainstream political party had supported the xenophobia against the Bengalis in Assam. Atal Gyari Bajpayee was the first person who went to Assam and he legitimized Assam movement, saying that it's a legitimate people's movement for their own land. The original inhabitants of Assam. Now, who is the original inhabitant of Assam? This itself is such a hugely debated topic. And India has been a federal country. So Bengal Khadao Andolan when happened, what I'm talking about the Assam movement. So Bengal Khadao was also like that. The Bengal Khadao means you drive away all the Bengalis. But after India became independent and obviously in a federal country, I can't say that Gujarati should go away from Bengal or Biharis should go away from Bengal. You can't say that. So Bengal Khadao evolved into Bideki Khadao, which means throw away all the foreigners. And Foreigners means Bangladeshi people and Bangladeshi people, obviously it's easy to tag any Bengali as Bangladeshi in Assam. Any kind of migration happens for economic reasons. Now, Assam is not one of the most progressive states in in terms of economy in India. It's not that Assam is an industrial state where there's a lot of job and a lot of economic migration is happening and a lot of people will want to stay in Assam. There is no train line after Gohati. Half of the year, uh, there is flood. It's agrarian economy. 
60-65% of uh, revenue generation is through agriculture. And as I said, there is no data with the government. The last census that we have from 2011, it says that 67,000 some number, 300 something people have come from Bangladesh to Assam. In a place like Bengal, that number is 12 lakhs. If they're saying that all Bangladeshis are going to Assam, I don't know if they have any data to say that. And just to make it a political game, people are saying random things. Some BJP MP in the parliament had said 50 lakh illegal Bangladeshis are in Assam. Someone has said one crore. Someone has said two crore. It has no sense. This is precisely the reason the CA and the NRC has been brought. I mean, the Hindu Bengalis in Assam are as much to blame. The Hindu Bengalis think that they will be saved because they are Hindus and they have a backdoor through CAA. Even if their names are out in NRC, they can get Indian citizenship through CAA. It's a problem and I have absolutely no clue what is going to happen. Entire CA NRC situation is very different in the rest of the country than it is in Assam. Obviously, there, there has been a lot of issues with indigenous people in Assam where the Bengalis have exploited the indigenous people of Assam to a great extent. But what is interesting is that it is rich Bengali people who have exploited the poor indigenous people and not only in Assam. Calcutta was the British capital of India and all the bureaucrats were mostly Bengalis. So all these Bengali people have exploited the people of Jharkhand, the people of Bihar, the people of Rajasthan, the people of Uttar Pradesh, exactly in the same way they have exploited the people of Assam. The exploitation is not unique. Whatever cultural aggression of Bengalis on the Assamese population has been done, that was way back. Tell me that a landless labor in Korimganj who is Muslim, a landless farmer, a landless contractual farmer who is Muslim in Korimganj, how is he a cultural oppressor? It absolutely makes no sense to me. This idea that a lot of people are coming from Bangladesh and taking our land is not going to help because this did not help the Assamese population in Assam in the last 50-60 years. You cannot stop migration. You cannot stop human beings from going from one place to the other. This route, this migration has happened for centuries and centuries and centuries. And where did the Assamese people come from? They, they were not indigenous people of Assam. They came from elsewhere who were not even Hindus. Everybody is a migrant. Human history is the history of migration. So by the government of India, there have been surveillance, there have been tracked down, there, there's been a complete witch hunt by the government agencies through the help of social media and internet uh, to per se. Uh, but then again, it is undeniable that the protesters use the, those particular mediums like social media as a medium to raise their voice. So do you see a problem in this approach or do you think is there an alternative to this whole approach? I mean, when the entire uh, NRC and CAA and NPR, anti-NRC, anti-CA, anti-NPR movement started, there was a lot of talk on the social media, but it also came down to the streets. So I don't think people are only doing stuff on social media alone. But there are a lot of people who are doing fantastic work on social media, which I think is great. And if they're spending their time looking at this kind of content, which really engages them with the larger conversation around CN and RC and NPR, it's, it's, it's good. Absolutely. Like, but we are talking in the middle of a lockdown where people can't go out on streets. People can't go out and have their opinions. But then again, in the middle of this, a government which came into part with the help of social media, that government is trying to impose their acts and impose their uh, rules, which they have passed after they have been to the government. They are forcing them to lock up people. So what would you say about that? I mean, the government is using this as a time and they're doing this. They know that not many people can come down to the streets and protest and they know that, you know, and they're a very thick skinned government. One has to understand that the cultural ambition of the RSS or the BJP, what it was during the Bajpai government is not the same as today. You can't forget that Bajpai was a person. I'm not a big fan of Bajpai, 
but i'm saying that the way that the bjp and the rss used to function back then and it does today there is a big difference bismillah was a person who was given a bharat ratna during the bajpai regime the bajpai government gave him uh, bismillah a bharat ratna can you imagine a muslim musician getting a bharat ratna today they can do it for tokenism but the thing is that we had underestimated the deeply communal country in 2014 the hatred is much more and the current government understands that the current government understands the power of polarization the current government doesn't want the vote of the majority the current government wants to concentrate its power and its influence on the people who are in this trip of hatred who really believe in this hindi hindu hindustan they want to keep their core voters when they talk when they put out their communication material they say 130 crore people this is the country's voice but they also know that out of this 130 crore only 18 to 20 crore people voted for them so the rest of the 110 crore really don't care about them so they know it very well and the opposition parties also know it very well but there is no solid opposition to stand in front of them and this is precisely the reason that the government has built these new enemies for a hero to survive if you go watch a bollywood film or a hollywood film a hero is not a hero until and unless he defeats the villain the traditional parliamentary opposition is not good enough for the government so they need new villains so you will see that a small time college union president of some college is one of the biggest threats for the government it's like a joke so this is manufactured all that you are saying that they are cracking down on dissent it is not exactly there is something else happening uh, people need to understand that that it is not only cracking down on dissent i mean they they need to be at this game of uh, hunting down and they need to find new enemies if there if there was no joker there wouldn't have been any batman so they need to find new jokers all the time absolutely so you are an independent filmmaker and an independent artist belonging from a film industry which is mostly the bootlickers of the current establishment in the country did it make you think twice before speaking out against the oppressors and and the establishment in the country and keeping in mind that you may not have funding for your upcoming project i mean it's good that i didn't think about it because it's it's true so in today's time and age it's difficult one has to be slightly aware of what they can do and be very smart i mean it's uh, it's also a matter of balance it's also understanding that this fight is not for a week or a month or a year or 10 years it's a fight till you die so one can't burn out also it's a part of life i mean we have said against the left in bengal we have spoken against the all the governments which have come in bengal we have spoken against the congress we have spoken against the bjp we have spoken against anyone and everyone but we also need to understand that what we are doing is not enough we have to find newer grounds and the anti ca nrc protest showed us that the fight can get bigger and bigger it's not only about the government it's the society and the government is only a reflection of the society so we deserve this government you know it it would be too delusional to think that we deserve anything better than what we have we get the police that we deserve we get the government that we deserve so the cultural ambition of the sangparivar and the rss and the upper caste hindus that has to be challenged after a point one has to look at a modern society in a way where europe could do after second world war we also might be able to do something like that but what the collateral is going to be i don't know because in the society right now in india the amount of hate we can't do anything it has gone too far and as i said we had really underestimated the deeply communal nature of indian people we had underestimated it in 
it is much, much, much more venomous than what we had thought. So tell me something like, so whenever, for example, let's start with Bengal, whenever the Bengal government, current Bengal government came in power, their aim was to take, obviously any political party's aim is to take the educational institutions. And when they fail, the next aim was always to take the entertainment industry. So the Bengal government successfully did it in Bengal. When it came to the national government, the national government tried to do the same. They have failed. They failed in in JNU. They have failed in Jamia. But they managed to take the entertainment industry or the Bollywood in their lap. So how do you manage to find friends in such an industry? I mean, I, I don't have... I mean, I don't have friends anywhere. I don't have enemies anywhere. The thing is, I just do what I want to do. And I've never like waited for anyone's validation or anyone's appreciation or I mean, it's not what excites me. And I don't, you know, I mean, also, I don't really, I don't really believe that the government failed in Jamia or JNU. They, I think they have so far succeeded. As far as Jamia is concerned, they wanted to send a message that we can do this to the Muslim students. And it was a strong message which was sent out to everybody that we can really beat them like this and we can go inside their library and we can beat them. And that's what they did. But there is a huge, just, just to answer your, the second part of your question, there is a massive section in Bollywood which doesn't like the present government. And it's outright... I mean, during the NRC and the CA, we have seen so many of them coming out and saying against the government, so many of them have said, and many people, even people who are silent, they don't like the government. They don't like the way they are working. And it's very natural because I I was talking to somebody a couple of days back and I said that, you know, India still is a secular country. And the fact that we have been able to hold on to a secular fabric for so long, a large part of that credit goes to Bollywood. If Bollywood, you know, ceases to exist, I don't know how long we can be a secular country. A couple of months back, there was a party arranged by the government where they wanted to bring people from the industry. And some people went and when they were asked by the press or other people, they denied having gone there. So the times has changed. If you remember Narendra Modi's selfie with all the Bollywood actors, I will be very surprised if the same people who went for that selfie, I'll be very surprised if that selfie happens in the recent time. That's not going to happen again. Let's hope not. Let's hope not. But obviously there are people. But even if it happens, even if, even if it happens, it doesn't change anything at all. It doesn't matter. Sure. There will always be, and see, the cinema industry is an industry which is dependent a lot on these factors. So it's tough. Sure. And I'm also trying to be quiet, man. I don't want to go on a space where I'm not allowed to work. That will be very sad. Absolutely. I understand. Coming back to your, your movie, uh, first of all, congratulations on the great movie. And it's been such a spectacle. I managed to see it somehow okay, through a friend of mine with a okay. VPN. <laughs> and okay. um, so the movie starts where th- there's a saying where you say that this is for my dead friends to come back from the night. What, what do you refer to? Like, what do you specifically refer when you say that? So when I was growing up in Salt Lake, I grew up with a lot of friends who were deeply into addiction and many of them, unfortunately, many of them died in different circumstances and there's not one or two or three or four. There are many, many, many such people. So this film is primarily dedicated to them, to all my friends who have lost. There's a whole generation of literature and movies like which, which deals with addicts and drug abuse. Uh, so. Where does your specific interest come for the movie Cat Sticks? I mean, the specific interest comes from the fact that I wanted to talk about the collective experience of a generation of brown sugar addicts who grew up in the late 90s and early 2000s in Calcutta with their own reality, with their own, you know, little things which are very different from films that we see in Europe and America and literature 
especially American literature, our problems and our struggles and our realities are very rooted here. And there was no, there was no record of that in theater, in literature, in films, in songs. There, there was nothing like that. You also work as a ethnographer or a historian, not exactly documenting things in a way, but more like documenting memories, how memory functions. That was very important for me. So your pictures have a dark side to it. And in the movie Cat Sticks, there's a bunch of men and women who only come out at night. So is it okay to assume that you love the night more than the day? Not really. I mean, see, the thing is, when I started working on the film, it was important to understand how to make the film and, you know, what it's going to be like. So there were certain foundations on which the whole film was built. The black and white was one part of it. One night was another part of it. The rain was another part of it. These were a couple of foundations which were laid down very early so that the film could be built. So that's the canvas. So the movie Cat Sticks shows a young generation of addicts without the label of class, caste, racial barriers or religious borders. So is there a message which you want to put out to the current generation in this fight against the fascist regime in India? Mm, I mean, it's, uh, th- these are two different things. But the reason that people from different class locations and caste and so on are represented in castings is because addiction is something that really doesn't look at these things. It can happen to anyone. Uh, it's like diabetes. So it's a disease which can be arrested. It's a disease which is progressive, fatal, incurable. So that's the only reason. And I also think that fascism kills everyone from all, each and every person of the society will be affected by it somehow or the other. The Nazi Germany is a prime example for us. And we should learn from history. We should learn from what happened during the Second World War. And we should learn from our mistakes. And we should move on. I mean, there is a reason, I mean, now that COVID-19 has happened and all of this madness is going on, uh, we should realize that why we are spending billions and billions and trillions of dollars making nuclear deterrents and not spending on health. Why can't we share our resources equally, why there is such a huge gap. Why why is capitalism destroying the water and selling us clean water? I mean, I just read a few days ago that water of Ganga in Haridwar is drinkable. So we need to to look at these things. And, you know, somebody said that, I think Greta said that everybody is saying that when will we go back to normal? And normal was a crisis. We need to look at that. So coming back to the modern times and like in out of all the places, Heartland, Calcutta, you were attacked by a saffronized fanatic a few days back. So what exactly happened and what led to this thing? Oh God. So this also, this also, I mean, what to do? I mean, so this was a series of attacks which happened in Calcutta and I was not the only person. There were other two people who were also attacked. Devolina was attacked with her group in Jadapur. Uh, Devolina is a filmmaker uh, and she was attacked with other friends of hers when they were doing some campaign in Jadapur about CA and NRC and NPR. And there was a professor, Doita, of Jadapur University. She was also attacked. And I was also attacked by a guy here. It all resembles the white supremacist in America, the vigilantism in the US, the self-appointed people who either support Trump or who either think that, I mean, it's the same here in India also. So this, this rise of vigilantism, this rise of, they have a certain sense of misplaced nationalism and they will say that you can't talk about these things and you are anti-national and you are this and you are that. And I mean, this, this started a few years ago and this is going on and this will probably go on for some more time. And I was saying someone recently that when the left was in the government, the left didn't really attack individuals and filmmakers and journalists and artists. They did what they had to, but the left and the Congress didn't do that. Some incident might have happened. Uh, some incident, I mean, th- there was no disease like this. It's, today, it's like a pandemic. Anybody can attack anyone. Anybody can do anything. So, I mean, that has to be controlled.
I'm sure you encounter threats like every now and then because of the social media appearance of yours or maybe the posts which you sent out. So what do you think is a way to end this epidemic? Like making your profile private, is that a way or have you ever thought about it? And if you ever make your profile private, does it serve the purpose? Nothing is private in this world. So unfortunately, I have no private life or I don't think anyone has any private life or nothing is private. Everything is public. I don't know, man. It's tough. It's really tough. I mean, I don't know what to do. I mean, we are all doing what we really want to. And it's not that we belong to any political party or we, we hate somebody because of the heck of it. I think it's important to understand that whatever we have today, there were some people who had to fight for it. And hence, we have these things in place, starting from the reservation to the laws in India to everything that we have, the independence of the judiciary. I, I don't know how long it can be like that, but you know, the media, the, the bureaucracy, whatever. I mean, the fact that India has a, has a parliamentary democracy and is not like Pakistan, which is dictated by its military rulers. I mean, all of this happened because people who built India had a certain vision. This fight has to continue, you know, to keep the idea of India, people who believe in the idea of India. And as I said, it's, it's not going to be a short-lived fight. It's going to go on for a very long time. How to go about it is, I think, one, one has to be aware more than anything else. Uh, saying something for the heck of it also doesn't make sense. I mean, one truly has to understand what their position is and what is going wrong in the country. And uh, this is something that we have to live with for the next couple of <laughs> decades, to be honest. And there is no escape. What, what can you do? I mean, if somebody attacked me with a dagger a couple of months back and that man was charged with attempt to murder, if it was a BJP rule state, then nothing would have happened to him. I, I could have been killed. This will happen on both sides. So many RSS people are killed in Kerala. It's not stopping RSS to function in Kerala. But I'm also trying to understand that what my role is as a photographer, as a filmmaker, how much I can do. End of the day, I, I can't. I can't join a political party and I can't start a political party and do things and be into this full time. End of the day, I also have to make my work because that is important. And to be able to raise a few things in our own limited capacity is also important. So we should all understand. I mean, I'm also telling myself as I speak to you, I'm also trying to understand what my boundaries are and how to streamline it. Because since December, it was like nonstop. It was nonstop. I don't think I'll have the energy to keep doing this, man. I think I, I, I want to make films. I want to make my work. But if this continues, I don't know how that's going to be possible. So I'm also confused. I, I don't have an answer. But I'm also somebody who is deeply emotional. And if there is something which, which is terribly wrong, which happens, I get affected, man. And I say things and, you know, I, I, I go to rallies and I, if there is a rally every day, I'll, I'll probably go to a rally every day. Even if that means doing that at the cost of my work, then so be it. But how long can I do? I have to pay my rent. I have to, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to balance, but we have to. Sure. As we are in the middle of a pandemic and everything is stopped and everything has slowed down. So obviously it will have consequences. So you have been to Shahin Bagh and like you have seen Shahin Bagh from a, from a very personal experience. Is there a visual which you personally remember from Shahin Bagh? And what do you think is next for Shahin Bagh when, when they try to come back on the streets? I mean, that, that has to be seen. And this is something that the people of Shahin Bagh will have to decide. And I mean, when the lockdown is lifted and people get back to their life, what happens to the larger movement will also have to be seen. But as far as my understanding is concerned, I think that the anti-NRCCA NPR protest has been hugely successful and the government is already in the back foot. Even during the British time, so much of dissent was not visible on the streets of India as it is today even before the lockdown. So I don't think it's going to stop. Or if the government thinks that the corona has saved them, then I don't think the government thinks that. I think the government knows exactly what is going to happen. So let's see, man. I mean, 
but i i am personally going to take a break actually because i have couple of things to do i have i mean i don't think i will be so actively involved as i was in december and january i'm already trying to take a break from social media and i'm trying to i'm trying to write and i'm trying to spend some time with my work because we have to take turns <laughs> um so last question before i just have the rapid fire um so you say journey is more important than the than the destination so what is the takeaway from this whole journey i think it's deeply personal and it's very it depends on you know it depends on who we are and what is at stake and end of the day it i mean some people will say things some people won't say anything they will also be our friends people who will not speak up and who will not do anything they'll continue to be our friends but i think we just have to do what we truly believe in from the gut and also the fact that we don't protest so that we can change the government but we protest because the government cannot change us to be true to that i think when you go back home and you stand in front of the mirror one should have the courage to look at themselves i am at times jealous of people who are indifferent and far away from all this and think that oh life is so beautiful and the society is so great you know there's so so much equal opportunity and such happiness and i mean i i want to be that person once in a while to truly kind of be oblivious of everything that is happening and just truly enjoy and post a photograph of the lovely food that i'm making and the lovely car that i'm going to buy and the lovely shoe or the dress that i'm going to wear and all of that you know i also want to do that i've tried and that is probably one of the reasons that i could never be a fashion photographer in a country like india or it always felt that you know place where you know like if it's a certain dilemma and i'm so fortunate that i have this dilemma i feel blessed that i'm confused and i'm not so happy in this current scenario it's totally fine so i have this rapid fire voice of dissent for our generation yeah amir aziz amit shah gas anti nationals all of us urban naxals so nobody used to say urban fascists i i i thought that i should say that you know as a antithesis or whatever at the opposite end of urban naxals urban fascists but urban fascists not so cool nationalism rabindranath what he wrote about it very important to read revolution charu majumdar gurdi media the whole media man i mean other than the 10% what remains love thank you so much thank you so much for the answers rani and thank you so much it's thank been a you. pleasure it's been thank a pleasure you. talking to you for so long and um yeah so i'm stopping the recording okay